It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. We got a good one for you today here on this Sunday, December 13th, as we look to recap UFC 256 Figueredo versus Moreno, which took place last night at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And what an amazing card that was. I mean, I I, I truly mean it. Um, just from top to bottom, really every fight delivered. I mean, so many talking points from this fight. So many changes in the rankings for North Star Sports, which we'll get to as we uh, get to the relevant fights. But, I mean, we, we saw... We saw people skyrocket in the rankings, skyrocket in popularity. We saw fights of the year. And, uh, you know, for this to happen on the final pay-per-view of the year, the second-to-last UFC event of the year is insane. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, the the main card showdown was interesting as well. you got to follow the Twitter for that. I'm not going to necessarily explain it here. Maybe if we have time at the end, I'll explain it. But it makes a lot more sense when you just read... Uh, what we've been posting on the uh, the Twitter handle, um, but yeah, this was an amazing, amazing card, uh, and and we'll start here with the uh, main event where Davison Figueredo uh, defends his flyweight title uh, via a majority draw. Um, obviously, a little bit of controversy there with the scores, although not not really. I mean, you know, you had the uh, the eye poke from Davison in the second, and the just sickening sickening nut shot in round three I thought the fight very easily could have been over uh, I think the referee was Jason Herzog shout out to him because he handled that you know very very professionally you know you do have the five minutes you don't want to uh, lead the fighter into going one way or the other just gave him time and Moreno's tough and uh, you know obviously obviously Moreno wouldn't want the fight to end that way but, you know, listen, if your nuts are fucking smashed in half, you can't really continue. Um, but, you know, props props to him. Uh, obviously, a point was deducted for that, which led to the draw. I mean, it would depend on how you scored the fight to begin with. Um, I think it probably would be fair to say that without the point deduction, Davison probably wins that 48-47. Um, but it was it was close. It, it, was, it was close. And, uh, you know... Even in a, well, I was going to say losing effort, but even in a drawing effort, you know, Moreno's stocks still, you know, skyrocket. I mean, that guy really showed what he's made of. And, uh, you know, he's a special fighter, and I would not have said that on Friday, uh, but he's a special fighter. And the, the biggest thing that impressed me with Moreno is the more he got hurt, the better fighter he became, which I think is a special trait. I, I like, that is not how it's supposed to go. As you get hurt, as you get beat up, as you get tuned up and pieced up and, and all of that, you're supposed to become worse. You're supposed to get finished. You're supposed to get knocked out. You're supposed to get choked out. But the fact that he just became a, a more a more violent fighter, a, a better fighter. I mean, he, he it, like, I, I think that's why it's a fight of the year for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's special. I mean, you know, a handful of guys have that. 
you know, or, or maybe a handful of guys have showcased that. Maybe there's more people who, ha- who have it, but haven't, you know, have the opportunity to showcase it. But like, that's like some Vincente Luque shit, you know, where you're just getting into wars and, and, you know, that's some Robbie Lawler, uh, type stuff. So that, that is impressive. Obviously, uh, a, a rematch has to happen. You can't move on to the Cody Garbrandt fight. We have to have a rematch. Might take a while because sure as hell looked like Davison broke his arm. Uh, Moreno got fucking beat up as well. So might be a little bit. Might be, you know, seven months from now. Might be International Fight Week, but uh, we, we have to see that. That was an instant classic. Probably the best fight um, in flyweight history. And, and uh, you know, for for my money, the, the best fight fight up until that point probably was Cejudo and, um, and Mighty Mouse. But I think this one pretty easily is better. Um, so, so, so just, uh, you know, one hell of a fight. It, it is the fight of the year for me, not to, you know, have a recency bias and, you know, say whatever's newest is, is the best, you know, not to be Ariel Helwani. Um, but, you know, I, I think that probably was fight of the year. I mean, I, I'd probably have to go back and rewatch uh, Wei Li Zhang and Joanna Yinjacek, um just to have that one uh, more more um, fresh in my mind. Um, I You know, I might have to do that. I, I might have to go back... I'm going to have to take a look at those two fights. I'm going to have to take a look at Hooker and Poirier. Um, maybe this one's not going to win, but it might be a candidate. I might have to go back and look at uh, at uh, Hooker and Felder. But I don't know, man. I think this one probably, probably does it for me. I mean, Davison is legitimately scary for the first two rounds. I mean, when he's fresh... Uh, it's scary because every time he's just sitting there, you know, w- wiggling his, his uh, upper body, you know, giving you that that look, you know, trying to force you up to the cage. I mean, he has, it's crazy to say because he's a flyweight, but he has one punch knockout power. So you're just sitting there with bated breath, you know, wondering what, what's going to happen. I mean, and, and props to Moreno, but I mean, he was getting walked down and that's, you know, Jesus. I mean, you know, you, you just harken back to the imagery of, of uh, Davison knocking out Benavidez, which happened, you know, as Benavidez was was walking back. So, um, I don't know. Moreno's stocks definitely go up. I don't think Davison's go goes down, by the way, either. Um, it, it definitely shows new wrinkles to his game, at least at the highest level, um, you know, the championship level, where he can be pushed to, to spots like that. But, uh, yeah, that, that was an amazing, an amazing fight. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll move on here to the uh, the co-main event, which also uh, has very significant implications um, because it is the uh, best division, probably the deepest division uh, at, at the best time in uh, in UFC history. And uh, yeah, Charles Charles Dubronx Oliveira gets it done, wins a unanimous decision over Tony Ferguson. Um, wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. I got to disagree with the, the scorecards there. Um, I think it was 30-26. Mm. 30-25 in my mind with a 30-24 being a real possibility. A real, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't quite go that far, 30-24, but I, I would very safely go 30-25. Um, man, just not even close. And that was, that was the big thing. That was the big thing. I mean, you had to, you had to wonder... You know, after that last performance where Gaethje just beat him up, uh, you know, how that was going to affect him. You know, the sport catches up to everybody. Nobody leaves this sport 
unscathed and on the top, you know, on top. Unless you're fucking Khabib or or GSP, like it's really never been done. So, you know, the sport might have caught up with Tony Ferguson. And I listen, he lost to two very elite fighters. So I'm not saying he's done or he's washed, but you know, he might be on the he might be on the the downwards trajectory. But on on that trajectory, he still might beat 95% of the fucking lightweight division. But you know, there are fighters who pass him up. I mean, he was the boogeyman of the division for a very long time. And I know that he, you know, he had that arm injury um, at the end of the first round, and that would impact his his fighting ability for rounds two and round three. But the thing I would say to that is, like, well, yeah, why did his arm get injured? Because of Oliveira's submission abilities. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, I would have fought great in rounds two and rounds three if my mental ability wasn't impaired from me getting brutally knocked out by Nganu. You know, the fight would be very different if I didn't get knocked out. The fight would be very different if Oliveira wasn't such a good fighter that he hurt Tony Ferguson. So, you know, you got to give props to Tony for being a warrior, which we already knew. But, you know, fighting with a broken left arm and, and you know, just trying to work around that. But, uh, you know, did did not go his way. And that's what I was that's really what I was saying uh, on the preview show. You know, I, number one was I was very curious to see where this fight took place uh, because they're both so well-rounded and so dangerous uh, really anywhere the fight goes, but, you know, Ferguson lives in Oliveira's world on the ground, not the other way around, not the other way around. I mean, he, he held up Tony Ferguson's legs like he was, you know, wiping his ass after, you know, changing a diaper for the entire second round. Like, he just had him folded over for fucking five minutes, you know, and, and, you know, the third round was just more grappling domination. I think he finished the fight, um, with like 11 minutes of control or something maybe maybe it was only 10 only 10 but um yeah fuck striking wise Oliveira had had the edge and uh I, I think you know listen Ferguson lost the moniker of being the boogeyman when you lose to to Gaethje because the streak is over but I think Oliveira is now the boogeyman of the lightweight division nobody fucking nobody is gonna want to fight Oliveira you get nothing if you beat him by the way you get nothing Oliveira is not a big name, and, and and I'm not I'm not saying that's correct. You know, I think he should be a much bigger name. But I'm just saying he doesn't have star power. Uh, he has, you know, even though even though he has the, the the most submissions in UFC history, and his striking over over this seven fight now eight fight winning streak has greatly greatly improved. Uh, you know, he was in the UFC for so long where nobody really cared. Uh, that, uh, you know, you get nothing for beating him. So I, I could never see Oliveira fighting McGregor. I could never see him fighting Khabib because what the fuck would you gain by beating him? You would get nothing. He's not a former champ. He's highly ranked, okay, but you'd get nothing. And if you lose, you get nothing either. Or you lose, well, I mean, you lose everything. Um, so he, he's the boogeyman of that division. I'm very curious to see who he fights next because uh, it is it is a little crowded up there in the top five um obviously i guess we'll get to the rankings right here so we had Oliveira at five we move him to three because ferguson was at three uh and then tony moves down from three to four and mcgregor from four to five so i think he's fucked i think i honestly think he is because he's not gonna fight khabib that, that that's never gonna happen it probably should it'd be a fascinating fight i'd love to see it it's it's the fight that should happen but it won't. 
Uh, I think uh, I think Gaethje's probably going to fight Chandler. Poirier's going to fight uh, McGregor. Uh, and uh, he just beat Ferguson. So who do you who do you fight? Uh, I guess RDA, Hooker, Felder are the logical ones in this circumstance. They're not logical in general. Listen, I I, th- I think it should be you know Gaethje and Oliveira. I think I think Oliveira needs to either fight for the title or you know fight someone above him in the rankings. And there's only two fighters above him in the rankings. Uh, so, I don't know, man. He he's he's in a little bit of a pickle because he's not going to get rushed, you know, to a number one contendership fight or rushed to a title fight. But uh, he 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 might be the future uh, of the lightweight division, you know, in in the wake of Khabib, at least we think retiring. But uh, man, it, it and it's impressive too. And it's a thing I always say where it's so tough to grow in the UFC. Fighters do not grow in the UFC. Fighters. You, you either have it and make it, or you don't. Sage Northcott didn't grow in the UFC. He got cut. Uh, Paige Van Zant didn't grow in the UFC. She got cut. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, Robbie Lawler came to the UFC when he was 20. Didn't come back till he was, like, 33. You, you can't... Well, I'm not going to speak in an absolute, but pretty goddamn hard to fucking learn and grow in the UFC. And this guy came in when he was 20 years old... He's had his ups and downs. He's had a lot of ups because, you know, again, most submissions in UFC history, I feel like a lot of people look past that because submissions aren't as flashy as knockouts. But, you know, he learned. He learned, and he's figuring it out. And, man, his striking so much better. And he's he's finally putting together names on the resume. So, you know, for the for the longest time with, with Oliveira, and for a lot of fighters, in fairness, you know, a lot of fighters don't have those marquee wins. You know, and, and his winning streak is, is impressive. It's all against UFC caliber fighters. I mean, Clay Guida, you know, that he, Guida's known as a tough guy. You know, he, he's been in some wars. Uh, Jim Miller, I think Jim Miller's up there for, for wins and total appearances, and he choked him out in the rematch. So, like, okay, those are some guys. Nobody's going to be impressed you beat Tamer. Nobody's going to be impressed you beat Nan, uh, Nick Lentz. Same with Gordon. But Kevin Lee, oh, okay. Kevin Lee, we know how dangerous he is. He fucking killed Gregor Gillespie in front of the president. Uh, you know, he fought for an interim belt. That's a name, and that's a main event for Oliveira. But then you beat Tony Ferguson, another interim champ, the boogeyman of the division. Like, wow, you're, I mean, you're really starting to get some names on the resume, which is is very, very awesome to see. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's about... Uh... Oh, and then I guess on the flip side for Tony, just very quickly... Man, I, I don't know where he goes, man. He looked like he aged 30 fucking years in six months. Tony Ferguson looks like a skeleton. He looks like a grandpa. I don't know where he goes. Um, I don't know, man. He's a weird guy, so I don't know what his mindset is. Um, I don't really want to see him get beat up more because uh, I, I think that guy, and I'm not even trying to be funny about it or whatever, but like, I really do think that guy has a few uh, screws loose up in his head, so that's a scary thing to watch for in the future. Um, but in fact, maybe he doesn't. I'm not a fucking doctor, but it sure seems like it. He seems like a you know he's he's a weird guy in general. But I think there might be a little more than just weirdness going on, uh, if I can say so myself. I, I don't know what's next for him. I mean, taking some time off. I don't know if that's such a good idea because. 
Well, he might be forced to take some time off because of the arm, but, you know, Tony's never been someone to, you know, this is the same dude who came back from a torn ACL six months later to beat Anthony Pettis, so, you know, I don't know, maybe getting back on the schneid would be a good thing for Tony. I mean, sitting in, sitting out there and, and, and waiting and just, you know, working on himself, I don't know if that's so good for him because he is 36, so he's kind of getting up there in, in age. Um... Definitely going to be somebody lower in the rankings. I don't think you put him in there with Hooker. I don't want to see Hooker knock out Ferguson. Uh, that's a dangerous fight. Maybe you put him against RDA. Uh, you know, another gentleman who's at an advanced fighting age. Uh, that might make some sense. Uh, Ally Aquintas sitting there at nine. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what that does for anybody. But you know. I don't know. He's kind of in a he's kind of in a weird spot. Maybe honestly, a, a move up to to welterweight would be a little would be a little interesting. You know, a fresh division, a fresh uh, coat of paint for him. I've I've no idea where you would slot him in. Um, but like I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I would hate to even suggest this, but like well, I don't know. Tyron Woodley's sitting there at number seven. We could have an old man fight between two former champs. Uh, you know what I mean? Like. I don't know. Nate, Nate Diaz is sitting there at nine. You could fight Nate Diaz. I mean, that that'd be an interesting, interesting fight. But yeah, I, I don't really know what's next for uh, Ferguson. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a tricky situation. All right, moving on here to the featured bout. We had a unanimous decision victory for Mackenzie Dern over Verna Jandiroba. Uh, I will say nothing about Jandiroba because I do not want to get in trouble. Other than uh, Rob Schneider. Um, Taking a look here at the rankings, very. Oh, by the way, uh, the pound for pound rankings have changed. Uh, Tony Ferguson was at 12. We have removed him from the rankings because he has been beat up for two straight fights in a row. That means that Covington, McGregor, and Whitaker all move up a spot, so they now occupy 12, 13, and 14. And I was really struggling to figure out who to put at 15. Fuck it, I'm just going to put Charles Oliveira at 15. That makes sense. Um,. You know, eight-fight winning streak. We got to put Oliveira up there. So, you know, I don't put a whole lot of thought into the pound-for-pound rankings. uh, And, uh, you know, that's probably evident by the the rankings. Um, But then to to get here for the strawweight rankings. So, well, spoiler alert, we also had Tisha Torres fighting on this card. Um, but we moved Mackenzie Dern from 11 to 10, and we moved Tisha Torres down from 10 to 11, even though she beat Sam Hughes. Uh, we'll address that portion of, of the equation when we talk about Tisha Torres's fight. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a it was a fine fight by by Mackenzie Dern. I mean, showed some some new wrinkles to her game. I mean, her her striking's a little bit better. Uh, you know, now on a three fight winning streak. I, I I don't know. You know, Mackenzie Dern has won a lot of medals in BJJ, but she she had her problems with Jandaroba, and I could very easily make the case that Jandaroba won this fight. I could easily make the case that Dern won the fight as well, and I think Dern did win the fight 20, 29-28, but listen, this is a very close fight. It is weird how every time Mackenzie Dern goes to the ground, she's always out-grappled. You know what I mean? Like, for being one of the greatest BJJ practitioners of all time, like, 
Didn't really do her a whole lot against Amanda Hebos. Didn't really do her uh, do a whole lot against Jan Duroba. So, uh, I don't know. Mackenzie Dern annoys me. Good for her. She got the win. She uh, fakes an accent that uh, does not sound very mentally stable. I couldn't even imagine what goes into, you know, having a committing to a fake accent for, you know, five or six years or however, however long she's been doing it. But, uh, yeah, fakes an accent. So, that's that's funny. It must be hard to, you know learn your original uh language which is english and uh just a very fake uh person from from what i can gather from it uh maybe maybe i shouldn't say fake but her her personality is just nails on a chalkboard just oh i'm i'm so happy that you know i i broke my nose but you know i think it's a broken nose it's like okay that's just the, one of the seems very fake I've, I've seen a lot of people like this and in my experience that's generally a fake uh you know cheeriness i don't know just annoys the shit out of me but uh yeah she, she did win so uh good for her does nothing for her career but uh yeah good for her all right moving on here to uh well i mean I was going to say the one of the more notable, well, certainly one of the more notable, but most notable performances, but honestly, there's been so many, but uh, Kevin Holland knocks out Jacare Souza in the first round, and again, this, this, is impre- this is impressive on so many levels. I mean, first of all, to knock out Jacare, this is a guy who has been, I think we looked it up on the preview show, he's only ever been knocked out twice in his career, and only ever been knocked out once in the UFC, and that was by former welterweight champion, or middleweight champion, excuse me, uh, Robert Whitaker. This is just not a guy who gets knocked out, man. It's really not. He's he's lost some fights recently, so people can beat Jacare, but he's not a guy people knock out. So that's fucking impressive. And, um, you know, obviously the way he did it was impressive, you know, just punching during a scramble, but like, how do you generate power when you're on your ass trying to stand up in a scramble and just throwing, I guess, a right hook, you know, a little, a little side swiper to the chin? How the fuck did you knock him out? I like, I guess it's the punches you don't see or don't expect, you know what I mean? But that's that's impressive to generate power like that and then to get the finish and obviously Jacare protested but holy shit. I mean he was getting he was getting re-knocked out as he was standing up you know just just by gravity so you know it was a very good appropriate finish I mean it was an appropriate finish um but the thing with Kevin Holland and I've I've always kind of known this he, you know him being a special fighter him getting five wins in a year you know him fighting so frequently um but he's got that special thing. Uh, he's got the it factor. He, it's it's like Adesanya. It really is like the, where there are certain guys where, you know, and Jacare is a very good fighter. But it's not like Kevin Holland fought a top three opponent last night. You know what I mean? But like there's certain guys on their way up where you just go, holy shit! You have the thing. You have the it factor. It's it's hard to quantify. But maybe it's maybe it's everything together. It's a package deal. I mean, the 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 swagger, the ability to not give a fuck, the ability to be so calm, the ability to uh, to you know just visualize things that you know. I, I guess the punch was there. What was there? But like the ability to visualize like things that that people typically don't do. I mean, to to even scramble, he got took he got taken down thirty seconds into that fight against BJJ royalty, and you know held more than held his own. 
Um, you know what I mean? And and that's that's the thing. I mean, he was doing um, like some grappling tournaments. I think over the, like the last year or so. So I love that because I've I've always said for the last like, well, always said. But since Kevin Hollins came into uh, you know, relevancy. I, I've said he's a top five striker at a minimum at middleweight. He's a top five striker, but his grappling is getting really, really, really good. I mean, he's doing those BJJ tournaments and grappling tournaments and stuff like that. And he, on his record, it looks like he's lost a couple, but he's trying, he's improving, he's getting better. And uh, very, very dangerous guy. And increasingly, becoming more well-rounded, which is impressive because to, to round off to the ability that matches his striking would be probably the one of the most dangerous fighters we've ever seen. Um, but And the crazy thing, too, about Kevin Holland is uh, five fights this year, five wins, but he, didn't, he did not have his first fight until May. So I think that's lost in the equation as well. Where it's like, oh, five fights in a year. That's very impressive. Okay. No, 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 no. Five fights in seven months. Less than seven months. Like, that, that's that's the fucking craziest part. Because he didn't, he, you know, obviously the UFC was shut down for, for a hot minute because of COVID. But it's not like he had a fight in January. A, a, a very solid knockout of Hernandez in May. A highlight level knockout of Joaquin Buck, Buckley, who's now the shit, uh, in August. A little weird split decision victory over Darren Stewart. That is the weird one. That is the one bad performance. Still a win. Still a dub. But then a highlight level KO slam via neck injury on Charlie Ontiveros, which, I mean, that was late notice fight. Never should have happened. I mean, Ontiveros is not even a Bellator level fighter. And, you know, he's fighting a guy who fucking could be champ in a year. Um, but then, you know, Souza, that's, that's the real one. That's the real, you know step up in competition so Holland has arrived the, the his his next fight has to be something massive uh, you know what I mean it, it, at least for where he is now we have him ranked at 14 in the middleweight division we did not have him ranked prior to this fight um it, it has to be somebody big I mean it, it has to be a main event he's marketable he's on the, the hottest hot streak you possibly could get I mean I don't know who you put him up against but uh you know Ah, Chris Weidman, maybe? I feel like he has a fight against Uriah Hall on the books. <coughs> so let's see here. Let's play matchmaker here. I don't think Kelvin Gastelum has a fight, so that would be interesting. 8 versus 14. He is on a little bit of a losing streak, but, you know, a tough fighter. Certainly a step up in competition. Darren Till would actually make a lot of sense. That would be interesting. Um... The, you know, the t- actually the timelines, the timelines for Hermanson and Holland would kind of match up a little bit, although Hermanson took a little bit of a, a beating, but that would make sense. That was supposed to happen anyways. So actually, you know, going back to Hermanson, I'd love to see that. Derek Brunson, hey, that, w- that would make a lot of sense. I think that's where you stop. I think Derek, Derek Brunson's where you stop, unless it's like a late notice, like, you know, oh, Whitaker has his next fight and it's late notice. You know, so excluding very weird factors. I think Brunson is probably as high as you go. I think that would make sense. Brunson and Holland, Hermanson and Holland, Till and Holland. But I think we're talking about, like, a fucking eight-ranking swing. Like, I, I we're not just going to put him up against Ian Heinish or something at 13. I, I really think you got to press the issue here because um, I, I think Kevin Holland is a very, very special fighter. 
All right, moving on to the main card opener. We had a knockout victory for Cyril Ghosn over Junior Dos Santos in round two via uh, an elbow. Uh, looking at the rankings here, we have Cyril Gon now at 7. He moves from 13 to 7. Uh, biggest jump up on the uh, in the rankings. So, I mean, uh, well, and then very quickly, JDS goes from 7 to 10, so he drops three spots. Sakai, Abdurakimov, and uh, Ivanov drop down one spot each to fill the, the void that uh, Gon's absence at, at 13 has left. And, um, you know, per- perfect fight. Perfect fight. I picked the pi- the fight absolutely correct. You know, I picked round two TKO. Um, Gon is the real deal. I really think he is. Uh, smashes through the fucking top ten on the doorstep of the top five. And he'll have a big fight no matter what. No matter what. I think Rosenstrike makes a lot of sense for him. Um, but either way, it'll he'll be in a main event, a fight night main event in his next fight. And he will be facing someone higher than him in the rankings. Um, the complete package for number number one, he's not a fatty, uh, which is good. He's not obese at heavyweight. I cannot stand watching obese fighters compete in the in, in the heavyweight division. That's my number one pet peeve to just have you know fatties fighting uh, at, at at heavyweight. You know, just sixty pounds in their stomach. I mean, this the, we we are professional athletes here, so you know you might want to look like it. But, uh, yeah, just ripped. 6'4", good height. I mean, 6'4", 240 is the sweet spot for heavyweight. You don't want to come in at the, li- at the limit. You don't want to be too short. 6'4", is good height. 240. I mean, fucking Miocic is, is around 240. DC, when he was champ, was around 240. Velasquez was around 240. JDS was around 240. I mean, that's just the, 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 the weight range. Anywhere from like 230 to 245 is where you want to be at heavyweight to be a serious contender, a serious player, uh, a champion. That's where you want to be. And his striking is very good. He clinched up JDS, so he wasn't afraid to, to get in there. Uh, Gon's got good wrestling. But most importantly, he's not a marauder. He's not a marauder. He's not an idiot. Uh, he's patient which is why I picked round two, because he's not just going to go in there and start somebody necessarily. He's not going to, you know, take unnecessary risk. He's a very calculated kickboxer and uh, very patient, which is, is a little rare at heavyweight. Sometimes because of, you know, the the great equalizer of a one-punch KO being a real factor for anybody at heavyweight, sometimes fighters get a little over-anxious. But, you know, this guy, even though he's fucking 7-0 and now, uh, he it, it really seems like he's 15 and 0. It's it really seems like he's been here, done that, and uh, uh, man, it would not shock me if he was champ in you know 18 months. This this is a, a very good fighter who is yet to find his equal in the octagon, which gets very fun when we're talking about fighters above him and uh, you know who that might be. Um, conversely, with JDS, listen, I know I know he protested the the stoppage, clean elbow clean elbow very obvious it it was in a weird spot because it was on the neck but it was not to the back of the head it did touch his his ear um so clean elbow uh and and for jds i mean that's four straight knockout losses in a row um i'm never in a position to tell anyone that they should retire because like i always say i don't care get knocked out 75 times in a row not my brain i don't care but my opinion probably is JDS should retire 
or at a minimum, I think the UFC should cut him. I don't like what the UFC is doing. I understand what they're doing, but he's been a stepping stone for for younger, hungrier fighters uh, to just knock out and and jump up in the rankings. I don't want to see that either. Either JDS needs to start fighting a bunch of old guys like him, or he needs to get cut and, and go to Bellator or go to PFL where the competition is a little easier, where he can still compete. And I don't, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. You know what I mean? Every fighter has, every fighter goes through the circle of life. You know what I mean? Every fighter goes through the beginning where they're not so good, but they're young and they're physically really awesome to, to their prime where, you know, the, the skills and the knowledge intersect and then every fighter for the most part goes through the the decline and, and jds is on the decline i just don't want to see this guy get fucking knocked out again in the ufc for no goddamn reason he's not going to ever fight for the title you know what i mean it's it's a, a scumbag thing to put him in there knowing he's going to get knocked out and you know we kind of know he's going to get knocked out so let's not put him in there against a fucking greg hardy or or, or whatever let's just old man fights, or go to Bellator, like, listen, if you still want to make money, who am I to say you can't make money, but go to Bellator, make, make, you'd still make good money over in Bellator, and, you know, the, the, the pool is a lot more shallow over there, but I, I really think his time has passed him by in the UFC, and again, I, I don't say that to be some type of way, I say that, you know, from the perspective of his manager, from the perspective of someone who cares for JDS. I mean, this guy has been champ in the UFC. Nobody can ever take that away from him. He's had a stellar career in the UFC. But, you know, listen, it, it's it's probably... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he fucking just goes on a tear. But I, I really don't see that happening. And, and there have to be real discussions about about JDS uh, and, and his future and how, how we want to play this. All right, moving on uh, to the prelims. We had a round two knockout from Cub Swanson over Daniel Pineda. Um, good for Cub Swanson getting back, uh, you know, off off the losing streak. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, or no, excuse me, he, he had that weird fight with Cron Gracie. Never mind. So I guess he extends a winning streak. Um, Pineda, not, not the, not the, Pineda's very, very tough. I mean, and, and that's the thing you got to realize when I say like, oh, that's not a good fighter. I mean for I mean for UFC standards. I don't mean in general. Obviously, you know, uh, it's obvious. But like, good, good for Cub Swanson. You got to think. You got to think about retirement. He is up there in age, uh, at 145. I mean, he's 37. But you know, just just looking at this performance alone, I mean, he had uh, Pineda real hurt towards the end of the first round. Uh, obviously, obviously got the finish. He looked real fucking scary after that knockout when he was just looking into the camera. And, uh, you know, this was a guy who 365 days ago to the date had his, had his ACL and MCL torn by Jake Shields in a grappling match, came back a year later, fought a professional MMA fight in the best organization and, and beat another fighter. That's very, very impressive. I don't think we should overlook that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, shout out to Cub Swanson. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to get too hyperbolic like the UFC does where, you know, you listen to some of the promos and you're just kind of like, I don't know if that's true, where they, they were saying something about, well, you couldn't tell the story of the featherweight division without Cub Swanson. Well, you sure as hell could. You sure as hell could. I mean, he, he never was champion, 
I mean, you definitely could tell the story of the featherweight division without Cub Swanson. I mean, it, it really depends how long the book is. You know, if it's a 70-page book, yeah, then, you know, Cub Swanson's going to be in there. But, you know, if, if we're just submitting our little 12-point font, double-spaced one-pager, we sure as hell could tell the story of the featherweight division without Cub Swanson. So I, I, I always love those UFC previews where, you know, they'll say anything to get you to tune in. But, uh, yeah, good, good for Cub Swanson. All right, moving on on the prelims. Uh, we had a, a very, very impressive first-round KO from Rafael Faziv on Hinato Moicano. Uh, that finishing sequence was so impressive. I mean, when they showed it in uh, in slow motion, it just kind of looked like uh, not not regular speed, obviously, but it didn't it didn't seem like slow motion. I mean, what is it? He hit him. He hit him with a, a, a strike to the head, a strike to the body, and then the finishing strike to the head. Um, fuck, he is a very good striker, man. He's a very good striker. And again, you don't get a whole lot of love for beating Moicano, and, and and nobody would really give you props if you lost to him. So again, that's a very dangerous fight for Fiziev. You know, real ones know how good Moicano is, but like, you know, and but it, to be fair as well to someone who would have a differing opinion. You know, Moicano, he's lost, uh, he lost two of his three uh, prior performances. You know, he had, he had the, the win over Demir Hadzevich that, you know, okay, that guy is not really a UFC fighter. But, like, you know, this was a guy who fucking, you know, was, was fighting Jose Aldo. I mean, this was a guy who choked out Cub Swanson. Uh, you know, beat Calvin Cater before we knew how good of a, a striker Calvin Cater was. Obviously, uh, you know, a very, very good fighter on the ground. And, uh, you know, I, I think Fiziev should get a little more love for beating Moicano. That's a very tough guy who also has found his true weight class. I know that uh, now he's 1-1 one one at lightweight, but uh, Moicano is a little bit of a taller fighter. Not ridiculously tall, but 5'11 for 145 is stretching it a little bit. Um, so, you know, a fully, well, maybe not fully, but, you know, a hydrated fighter, someone who's not going to kill himself to get to 155, to the level where he would kill himself to get to 145. And, you know, listen, I think I think Fiziev is, is the real deal. That's that's very impressive. Um, I, again, I don't know what's next for him. Hopefully, hopefully a real challenge. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to Moicano, but, you know, you got to think about maybe somebody in the rankings, like maybe a Drew Dober or, uh, you know, Maybe somebody, maybe not someone in the rankings, because I don't know. Lightweight's so deep; it's tough to find someone to fight in the rankings. But you know, the UFC will reward him. And then for Moicano, I think it just comes down to improving at striking. I mean, really, you look at his his uh, last three losses to Aldo, the Korean Zombie, and Fiziev, all knockout losses. So. I don't think there's a whole lot of concern for Moicano on the ground. I think he'll always hold his own at a minimum on the ground, but it's really the striking that's been the problem. Um, you know, I, I know that Poirier, Dustin Poirier, talks glowingly about Moicano and, and his striking abilities, but, you know, when we see him get knocked out three times since February of 2019, you know, that, that, that it's just going to have to improve. And it's tough. It's tough, too, because, listen, Aldo, like, these are very high level UFC fighters not just not just high level because they're in the UFC but within the UFC they're very high very high level strikers in Fiziev and the Korean Zombie and Aldo but listen if you fight in the UFC you're gonna have to face some pretty good fighters at some point 
um, if things are going well for you. So I think it just comes down to fixing the striking. Just, you know, I don't know, maybe a change in, in game plan as, as well, just to, you know, kind, kind of press the... Um, press the takedowns a little more, but uh, still a talented fighter. I, st- I think he's still only 31, too. Um, so, the, the, the book has not been entirely written on Moicano, you know. He'll he'll still have a say in how his career goes, but, uh, you know, we might have to have some deep introspection uh, from uh, Hinato Moicano. Alright, moving on here. Uh, we have a unanimous decision victory for Gavin Tucker over Billy Quarantillo. Uh, good win for Gavin Tucker. I think he kind of gets lost in the shuffle uh, just due to inactivity, but now this is three wins since uh, July of 2019. Um, and uh, all very impressive. I mean, it was he couldn't get the finish on Billy Q, but, you know, Billy Q's a, a dirty fighter. I, not in a cheap sense, but just in a, you know, making it a scrap uh, type of way. Um, you know, very impressive with uh, Justin Janes. I don't remember his fight with uh, Sung Woo Choi, but I do remember the fight with Janes. Um, so, you know, this is a guy who has momentum. I mean, you know, he had the one loss to Rick Glenn, had two years away from the game, uh, or at least from active competition. Probably, I doubt it was two years away from the game. Um, but, you know, a guy who kind of gets lost in the fold there uh, at uh, at 145. But, you know, a, a guy who's... Uh, pretty darn good fighter I mean again I don't want to overreact just because I saw him have a good performance but listen we'll wait and see and uh you know for for Billy Q I you know I don't know man I I don't know you always have to be a little bit concerned these days when you lose because and you're not in the rankings because you could get cut you could get cut because you know when the UFC says they're gonna cut 60 people before the end of the year uh you I mean, if you have a loss uh, in, in your most recent column, uh, you, you have to be concerned. I, I think Billy Q is probably safe just because he was 3-0 and in the UFC beforehand. But I'm just I'm just saying, man, like, the, the UFC waited until fucking uh, Elias Theodoru had a loss to, to, to cut him, even though he was in the rankings and was on a winning streak before that. So um, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be a travesty if Billy Q was cut. I think they'd be absolutely incorrect, but... Just kind of floating it out there. Uh, we also had a, uh, well, a doctor stoppage at the end of round one from Tisha Torres uh, on Sam Hughes. Hughes is making her debut. Again, we said it earlier in the show, uh, Tisha Torres moves down from 10 to 11. So she actually loses a spot in the rankings even though she won. And listen, that's what happens. The rankings are very circumstantial. They're very uh, reliant on context. And Mackenzie Dern was one spot below her. And Mackenzie Dern beat number 13, Virna Jandaroba. And Tisha Torres beat someone who wasn't even the, was not even in the UFC fucking five days ago. So it's unfortunate, but that's, that's, you know, weird stuff like that can happen in the rankings. You know, Tisha Torres was on a four fight losing streak uh, before she beat Brianna Van Buren and Sam Hughes, two fighters who were not are not in the UFC or will not be in the UFC. Um, I don't think Tisha Torres is a good fighter. I, I you know again two fight winning streak. I think it's just because she's fought two very low level fighters. I think if she fights anybody in the top fifteen, she'll lose. Uh, and, and and that's that's that that's that. And then and for Sam Hughes and the whole eye injury thing. Listen, if you can't see. If you cannot see, 
out of one of your eyes, yeah, the fight probably should be stopped. I mean, that's certainly the commission's take on it. Um, it is, it is a, it is a thing though. It is well known that if you say you cannot see, the fight will be stopped. Now, I'm not saying you should lie to the commission. I would never say you should lie to the commission, and I mean, I, I'm not even being facetious when I say that. But like, we've seen, we've seen it before with fighters who will lie and say I can see even though they can't. But that's that's your choice. It's it's your body. If you want to lie to the commission to continue fighting, even though your your eye might be compromised, that's that's your mo. That's your that's your choice. But you have to know. You can't act surprised. That if you say I can't see, the fight gets stopped. Every everybody knows this. If you utter I can't see, even if it's true, you have to know that the fight is going to get stopped. And uh, it, you know, listen. It's a good stoppage from from the from the vantage point of the commission. Probably just in general. You again, you probably shouldn't fight if you can't see. But them's the rules. Them's the rules. And if you don't like it, you'll have to lie. I don't condone lying to the commission. This is just a well-known reality of fighting. Ask ask anybody. You, you know what I mean? Like if fuck it, like Tony Ferguson's arm was probably broke. You know. If the commission came in and Tony Ferguson's arm is fucking dangling off his body, do, do you think if they ask him if his arm is... By the way, if your arm's broke, the commission's going to stop the fight. Uh, do, do you think that Tony Ferguson's going to be like, Oh, yeah, I think, it might be, I think it might be broken. Actually, I know for sure it's broken. Tony Ferguson would never say that because Tony Ferguson knows that the fight is going to get stopped. Now, that might be an incredibly stupid thing to do because maybe you fuck up your goddamn vessels in your arm and it has to get amputated i'm not saying that's a smart decision by the way but just fighters fighters know the the dynamics with commission doctors is 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 my point and whether that's right or wrong it is a reality and then we had one more fight here on the it was the prelim opener and it was a fight between chase hooper and peter barrett uh hooper uh chokes out well submission not chokes out but a submission via a heel hook on peter barrett that, that's a tough fight in <laughs> from the sense of like that's a tough fight from the sense of Chase Hooper got the win but I still think he should be cut I think Chase Hooper should be cut I don't think he should be in the UFC not because he won't be good in the UFC but because literally like I just said with with uh you know o- Oliveira you, it's tough to learn in the UFC, and we're seeing that with Chase Hooper. I think Chase Hooper is a talented fighter, and I think, I think in 2025 he could be a real challenge in the UFC. But I think right now he's struggling with very, 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 very low-level UFC competition. So for his, for the sake of his own career, not because he did anything wrong, for the sake of his own. Chase Cooper Chase Hooper is almost cursed in a sense because he had so much success at a young age that he got forced into the UFC before he was ready. Dude, no fucking 19, 20, 21, 22 year old is ready to be in the UFC. That's just a fucking fact. And that's why you got to respect fighters like Israel Adesanya and Jimmy Manoa and guys like that who decline offers to come to the UFC at a young age because they know they want to get a little more seasoning. It's not a lack of confidence. It's the acknowledgement of a reality that it is very hard to win in the UFC at a young age when you get forced in there. You know what I mean? So for the sake... And I know that when they signed him, they signed him to a developmental deal. And he had three fights 
uh, you know, uh, outside of the UFC. But, dude, he's just not ready. He's just not ready. This is not boxing, by the way, where we just feed you cans. We feed you 10 cans until you're ready. The best fight the best in the UFC and Chase Hooper right now. Uh, listen, and again, I'm not saying he won't be the best at, at, at some point. But I'm just saying right now, dude, he has to go to a developmental level and, and learn and grow. And again, I know he had three fights after the Contender Series, you know, fight. But he needs more. He needs more. Because Peter Barrett, Peter Barrett is not a good fighter. Dude, Peter Barrett is 0-2 in the UFC. He has lost... Uh, or, or he, he is three and five in his last eight fights and fucking six of the six of them were out of the UFC so he was fucking three and three in his last three or three and three in his last six fights on the regional scene on the regional scene so Peter Barrett is not even a Bellator fighter not even a PFL fighter like just a guy who was going barely above 500 in in fucking cage titans okay so for the sake of Chase Hooper, dude, you have to go, not even to, like, not even to PFL or not even to Bellator, but, like, you have to go to LFA. For the sake of your own career, you have to go to LFA. You, it's, it's just, and I don't want to be mean about it, and it's tough to say because he just won, but he barely won. He was getting pieced up. He got pieced up by Caceres, like, because what's, what's going to happen if that doesn't happen, which it won't happen, he will not go to the LFA. What's going to happen, and by the way, if you get cut by the UFC, there's no guarantee you ever come back. But what's going to happen is he's going to keep fighting these low-level guys, and then he's going to, you know, he's going he's to go 500 in his next couple of fights, you know, three, four fights, and then he's going to get cut as a 24-year-old. You know, maybe he, maybe he gets beat up, and, you know, it's a real possibility that, like, a, a, a Thomas Gifford situation happens when you're when you're not at a level requisite of of UFC competition. Uh, it's a real possibility you just get brutally knocked out. I mean that hasn't happened yet for Chase Hooper, but it's a real possibility. And because he won, it's a real possibility that he fights someone up the totem pole. So I don't know. Well, what what if he fights? But to connect the fucking parallels directly, what if he fights Mike Davis in his next fight? Mike Davis would send him to the shadow realm do we want that what is what does he learn oh you learn more from your losses what what would chase hooper learn from getting brutally fucking knocked out <laughs> what would he learn from that but that's a real possible it's a real possibility for anybody obviously but it's a real possibility when you're in the ufc when you shouldn't be so it's just a very delicate situation there all right, with that, well, I guess we've recapped all the fights here. Uh, again, you can uh, follow North Star Sports on Twitter at NorthStarMIN. Follow me on Twitter at OwenEleyMN. you got to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. We have updated UFC rankings the same night of the fight. Just a mere, I would say at most, at most 70 minutes after the fight, we'll have updated rankings. Uh, we do NFL mock drafts now, and then just, you know, the main card showdowns on there, our picks are on there, everything's on there. It's the best sports website uh, in, in you know, all of sports media. I mean, it's been clinically proven. It's just a fact. Uh, so be sure to check that out. But for now, thanks for tuning in, everybody.